Okay, so um, you notice that the title of tonight's talk is Eschatology and Practicality. And so I was hoping that would sufficiently intimidate you that you wouldn't try to ask me any questions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I hope you guys will feel free to ask questions. Uh, you guys, you know, this has been a great time for me. I hope you guys have gotten something out of it. And <clears throat> um, and so I'm. Uh, what I want to talk about are these two aspects. It's kind of a wrap up, you know. I'm. I'm not. Um, there's plenty of other stuff I could talk about, you know, but I'm going to talk about these two things just because I uh, have, to, have to pick something. can't talk about everything. Uh, well, I could, but you guys probably wouldn't sit still for it. Well, at least Daniel wouldn't because he, he's not nearly as impressed with me when I talk <laughs> as I am when I talk. <laughs> so... Uh, He's kind of a natural corrective force. Um, you know, it's Thanks like... for celebrating my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm saying, I, I, you have a lot of value with... On you. this day, I'm... I'm and, 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 of course, on my and of course, you know the old saying, right? Uh, uh, a, a prophet is not without honor except in his own home, you know? So, <laughs> I, I know that. I know the truth of that very well. So... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Daniel is one of my biggest fans, as far as I can tell, which which tells you that's a low, very low bar. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I oh yeah. Anyway, okay. So whoops. Turn it on. Uh, yeah, all right, it doesn't work there. doesn't work here either. <laughs> okay, yeah, good, okay. So, eschatology, <clears throat> where we're headed. Uh, you know, they, they say eschatology is like the last things. Um, though, in one sense, it's, uh, you know, if you've read um, uh, The Last Battle, you will know that from one pers from another perspective, it's the beginning. It's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story, and uh, give it. And you know, it's the realm of hope. And there are three areas of eschatology: the individual, the church, and the bride. Um, I, I wanted to do the bride because I wanted to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about beauty, and the reason I want to talk about beauty is uh, we don't, you, you know, we don't ask the question, you know, what is it all about? Why are we, why do we even exist, right? What, you know, what is, um, why, why are we here? What's the point, right? And, I mean, so you can... There's, it opens up a big can of worms to ask that question in the sense of why did God make us? And the thing to realize is from a from the point of view of philosophy, we, we or theology, we say that we are unnecessary. 
that doesn't mean we aren't necessary in some sense, but from a, as far as God's concerned, he didn't need to make us. He didn't have to do it. In other words, God didn't have to create to be God. And so why did he do it? I mean, obviously it was a, for in many ways, it was a very painful experience, right? God, the fact that God uh, created us and then we went and rebelled against him and even went so far to put Jesus to death. Why did God go through that? And <clears throat> the answer is that um, God was uh, experiencing in in the in the in the Trinity. We talked a little bit about the Trinity before. In the Trinity, God experienced so sociality. He experienced the giving and receiving of love glory, um, you know, affirmation, all of the different things. If you read John 17, which again, you know, Daniel, uh, your, Daniel is going to get his wish that I not confuse you by talking too much about John 17. If you read John 17, you realize that uh, there was a lot going on before anything was made, okay? Well, the way we say it is that God was uh, experience the perfection of delight and love and sociality and so on and so forth. So then why did he make us? Well, uh, he wanted to uh, experience it on a uh, grander scale. <laughs> uh, and, and, so, and so creation um, creation was an overflow, an overflow of joy and delight and, uh, you know, God wanted to fill the universe with many sons, as, as, uh, as it says in Romans 8, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many sons. Sons, of course, meaning sons and daughters. So um, the whole point of the, of, a, of the universe, if you want to put it that way, is beauty, which I define as, or I should, not I define, but is, is defined as um, the harmonious... Uh, interplay of diverse elements and so God wants to create a universe full of diverse beings that come together in harmonious ways and, and inexhaustibly creative ways so that there's always something new going on that's what we're all about that's what God made everything for and um, so that's why I wanted to talk about the bride because the bride is kind of like we started. We we see we land there, in terms of the end of this story. We land on the the wedding supper of the Lamb and and the bride coming down from heaven, and uh, so anyway. And then we have the practicality side, which is how we get where we're going. You know. Uh, again, we have this all concept of already and not yet. How many of you guys have heard of already and not yet? Okay, so already and not yet means that we already have something in, in terms of our Christian life. We have some connection with God. We have, we have, you know, it's, we have the Holy Spirit as a seal and guarantee of the promises that God has made for us. Uh, but we're not there yet. There's all, there are the promises, many of which we, we, haven't, we haven't received. I mean, for example, 
one of the promises is that our, we will have glorified bodies. Uh, our, our bodies we will put on immortality. Uh, and Paul goes into a long description of that in 1 Corinthians 15, um, where he talks about the body as like a seed. It's, it's sown corruptible, it's raised incorruptible. It's sown mortal, it's raised immortal something along those lines it's sown in weakness it's raised in power you know so that's gonna happen and, and so we currently are the body in sort of seed form but god has promised that there will be a fulfillment that's incredibly wonderful and then and and so all of these three things prayer bible reading and community uh are they exist in the not yet but they also exist in the already, and we're helping each other live out the already, and so um, live out the already in the midst of the not yet, or as some people talk about it, old creation and new creation. The church is a new creation thing, trying to uh, express itself in an old creation setting, and so um, it's 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 very much. There's a, a tremendous tension between the what what the old creation wants us to do and be, and what the church would be if it were not in an old creation setting. So anyway, all of these things are uh, how how we get where we're going in terms of what God has in store for us. So let's. Get the show on the road. So eschatology is about hope. It's the realm of hope. And I, I want to start with our, you know, our, our first hope is the appearance of Jesus. Um, and it's interesting because, I, I don't know, it, it. I was talking with Fred Mock many years ago, and I'd actually kind of gone through the same experience myself. So I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I'm not zinging on Fred Mock, but we were talking and he said, you know, we're supposed to hope in the second coming, but I really have a lot of things I want to do before the second coming, you know, so I don't have much hope in the second coming. And, and I, I was kind of laughing at him, but, but I, partly I had remembered that I had felt the same way years ago, right? And then, and what was really funny to me was, a few years later, uh, you know, he'd had kids and you know all that. He said, "Man, I'm really ready for Jesus to return." <laughs> you know. So <laughs> anyway, so I mean, you guys are probably sitting there thinking, you know, we have all kinds of uh, thing things we want to get done, things we want to do before. Jesus returns. So, you know, we're saying to Jesus, take your time, you know. Um, I, I got plenty to keep me busy. But um, when we think about it, our true hope um, is the return of Jesus. So, for example, Titus 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make a point there about glory because it'll keep popping up. Uh, I think glory and glory is beauty. Okay, you can just use the terms interchangeably if you want. Glory is appreciated beauty or appreciated aesthetic value. 
Okay, uh, that's, uh, you know, but think of it as appreciated beauty. When you appreciate the beauty of something, the, the yeah, well, strictly speaking, it's aesthetic value, but it's the same thing. So, and so when we see, um, when we, you know, when Jesus returns, we will see his glory. We will see, you know, this incredible um, worth and value um, that he that he brings. Okay, uh, it's uh, if you remember again, John seventeen, Jesus says uh, that um, he that he wants the Father to glorify him with the glory he had with him before the world was made. Okay. So Jesus, as the Son of God, was glorious in eternity, and He wants, and He wants to show us that. At the end of chapter uh, John seventeen, He talks about that we would see His glory. And when you think about that, I always, I always use the, the analogy of uh, uh, you know those those fairy tales where there's this king <clears throat> who's looking for a wife, you know, and he's sick and tired of all these uh, these princesses and such that come after him because they know he's the king and rich and all that so he goes off into the uh he goes off he disguises himself as a woodcutter and uh he goes off and he he goes to woo a princess and so he woos the princess and he gets her to fall in love with him and then he and then so he's you know crazy enough right he's a he's a woodcutter as far as she knows, but he's he gets her to fall in love, and so she bring he's bringing her. He says, "I'm you know we you know I'm going to take you home to my place, and then we can get married." And so they're going along, and she's thinking, "Oh, what am I getting myself into? You know, what am I? You know, I, I've agreed to marry him, but I mean, I love him, but you know, he's a woodcutter for goodness sake." And they're going along, and she says, "Well, well, who do these?" You know, who do these fields belong to? He says, oh, they belong to me, you know. So and it goes along. See, who do these, who do these, you know, who does this town belong to? Ah, belongs to me, you know. <laughs> and, and they get to this castle, and she says, who does this castle belong to? Belongs to me. And then he, you know, he reveals himself as the king, you know. And, and uh, she, so you think about Jesus, right? He came in the form of a man, and even of a servant, and humbled himself to death. But now, but you know, we will see him. We followed him when he was lowly and even broken, and we will see him in his glory. And it will be like that woman who sees the glory of the the king, the man she's followed, and says. Wow, boy, did I ever make the right choice, right? You know, so, so that's what we're waiting for. The, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Um, and then we have, uh, it says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Uh, this is talking about the, the, the end times, the, the second coming, the circumstances. And it says, there, then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Okay, so the breath of the mouth breath of his mouth is is the word of Christ. So um, uh, we tend to think in of, of the second coming as kind of violent, you know, the whole 
last, uh, what is that, Left Behind series. Have you, how many of you read the Left Behind books, seen the movies? We had this, this, yeah, I read a whole bunch of them. I finally got tired of them. I, I just, I couldn't wade through all. I got through many of them, but I finally ran out of steam. I didn't, I didn't read the last book. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember which ones I forgot. I, I what didn't read. What happens at the end? Um, what happens at the end? Of what? The books. Um... I don't know because I didn't, you know, who knows? Maybe Satan won for all I know, you know, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so there's a lot of violence and all that. But, but you know, if you look here and in, and in Revelation, the breath of his mouth, he, he slays him with the breath of his mouth. That's the word. Same thing happens in Revelation. The sword that comes out of the mouth is the word, right? So this sort of subverts the whole idea of a violent, end to to the, the the situation and what's really fascinating is it says will bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming and this is um some translations uh, have instead of appearance of his coming the splendor of his appearance will bring to nothing by the splendor of his appearance think about that um, all right so how many of you have read lord of the flies Oh, good. Quite a few people. So you remember at the very end, Ralph, the hero, kind of semi-hero, is being chased by the other boys, and they're 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 like you know. In fact, he refers to them as savages, and you know he's he's hiding in the bush there, and there's someone hunting him, you know, and he. So anyway, he he managed to get away from that guy and was running down to the beach, and they're coming after him as a this crowd and he trips and falls and then he he's he's looking up and he's got his arms up you know and he looks up and he sees an officer a naval officer and with the appearance of that naval officer everything stops it all stops all the craziness everything all the fighting all the everything just what the heck were we doing? You know, what this this no longer makes any sense at all. And that's the way I kind of like to think of Jesus returning. Jesus will return, and when we see him, the splendor of his appearance, people will say, "What were we thinking? What were we what What were we doing? Chasing all this random garbage?" fighting each other, killing each other, wasting, you know, resources on useless things. Uh, and, and why, you know, it would be like waking up from a nightmare. The splendor of his appearing. Will, so this man, this Antichrist will be brought to nothing by the splendor of his appearing. That's what we're hoping for. You know, and of course it, it means that all of our... Uh, you know, stock options and 403Bs or whatever the heck we've got or any of that stuff is going to be also, you know, who cares, right? It's all gone. I don't care, you know, um, because I, wow, you know. So, so um, yeah. And then finally, Second um, Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That is, 
Are you one of those who are are just can't you know when you when there's somebody you love and they're going to come, right? A friend, a, a, a you know a romantic relationship, uh, a relative you really love and care about, and you know somebody, and and you know they're like say they're coming for Thanksgiving or something, right? You know they're off somewhere, maybe in college or maybe you know wherever, and they're going to come for Thanksgiving. And you just can't wait till they get there, you know? You just can't wait until that person shows up at the door. And uh, is that how you feel about Jesus, you know? Love his appearing. I can't wait till he shows up because it's Jesus, right? Now, I will bet that you probably don't have the same intensity of feeling about Jesus as you have, like, other human beings, right? I mean, it's it's very natural, you know. But what I would say is, it's a matter of it's kind of a matter of training your mind to think that way. And I, I, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Um, it's just it's just meditating on what it means for Jesus to return and dwelling on that. And you know, um, instead of thinking about all the things in this world that you just can't wait to have or do um think about think about what it will be like when jesus returns you know that put our hope in that you see um, and again I, I i don't know if i told you guys what hope means yet <laughs> um hope is um simply defined as confident expectation of future good and it's not you know we tend to say things like well i hope so and so does such and such but that's not hope in the biblical sense. In the biblical sense, hope means it's something you haven't got yet. It's in the future, but you're confident that you will get it for some reason, for one reason or another. That's hope. Okay. So all of these things, we want to, we want to see our future good as tied up in the appearing of Jesus. You see, this is, this is our, the consummation of our lives, okay? I really need to keep an eye on the time. Ah, okay. Uh, okay, man, I'm going slow. All right, hope of, so as individuals, we have the following hopes, you might say. Um, the first is the hope of glory, right? In other words, you know, one of the, one of the fascinating aspects of um, you, the way people talk uh, as Christians, they say things like, you know, it's all for God's glory and, you know, God won't share his glory. And, and you know, it, there's this one song, you know, it's all for you. I don't remember all the details of what that song says. I think it's by Chris Tomlin. And I think it is one of those songs that confirms my, my um, feeling that Chris Tomlin really ought to take some seminary courses but maybe it's kind of late now, but I'm sorry. I, I, uh, I, please forgive me for saying that. Anyway, He's but... Just like burning everyone. Yeah, I, I'm really good at burning people. Yes, yeah, see, I mean, I'm really good at that, so... <laughs> uh, anyway, but the point is that it's, it's really amazing when you realize that one, the thing God wants to do is to give us His glory. Uh, you know, it's 
it's all for you that song you know uh, i don't i don't remember all the words trauma-induced amnesia but anyway uh (laughs) i still remember singing that song and thinking what the heck why am i even here you know it's like anyway uh so anyway, it says here, you know, that, that God wants to give us his glory. And the thing about it is we were supposed to be his glory. Remember, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, that's what we were supposed to be, the glory of God. But because of sin, we fell short of it, you see. But God didn't give up, you know. So to them, God chose to make known how great among the, Gent- how great among the Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery. By the way, one of the interesting things about the uh, the way Paul uses the word mystery, for him, mystery is generally something he is going to reveal. It's not something we are not supposed to know. It's something that he will reveal. Often it has a double meaning, but in this case it just is something that was hidden. The glory of this mystery, which is, what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, definition of hope is not, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, but rather confident expectation of future good. So Christ in you, the confident expectation of glory. You see, so this is, you know, this is what we have to look forward to. Glory, that means, anyway, the glory of God, okay? Glorious body. Um, you know, I figure when I get uh, my glorious body, you know, people won't really even notice the difference, right? You know. <laughs> anyway, just <laughs> Philippians. Philippians three twenty to twenty one. But our citizenship is in heaven. Okay. Now I take this very seriously. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that now because that's off topic. But think about that, right? Think about our citizenship is in heaven. So why are we so caught up in scrabble, squabbling over the scraps of power that fall from Caesar's table, as somebody once put it? Anyway, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, so God is going to exert his power on our behalf to transform our bodies from, you know, our our current um, uh, decrepit state, at least for some of us, uh, into something that is gloriously like Jesus. And uh, things like walking on water and, you know, walking through walls and other things that, you know, he could do without, because he had complete control over his, his body. Um, uh, anyway, I won't go into details, but, you know. All right, then to be like him. First John 3, 2 to 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. This is the not yet I was talking about. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him 
purifies himself as he is pure. So if you hope to be like him, now's a good time to start, right? You know, and this idea of purifying, <clears throat> this idea of purifying, we have to understand purify. We tend to think in moral terms, you know, he's morally pure or sexually pure or whatever. Purify, pure, purity just means not being adulterated with other things. So for example, there's uh, uh, ivory soap flakes, 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure. What does that mean? It means you got soap. You don't have anything else but soap, right? You know, well, that's what you want in your life. You want your life to be given to God. 99 and 44 one hundredths percent or, or more, right? You, or, or as Kierkegaard put it, purity of heart is to will one thing, okay? Um, <coughs> and, you know, one of, the, one of the things about most people's lives, we're scattered all over the place. We're going after all these different things, goals, desires, you know, uh, and, and, you know, even in human terms, the person who can pull himself together and focus, that person will accomplish more than someone who's scattered all over the landscape. Well, if you're focused on God, that is that is directing your life. Well, first of all, it's pulling your life together, so it it creates unity in who you are. And but even more, you're focused on the thing that is of eternal value, that is on God. And uh, so anyway, that's one of our hopes is to be like Him. And we can start now. I mean, we're not gonna have, we're not gonna be transformed in this life, but we can be more ready to be to be that way if we if we focus now. It'll be more it'll make more sense, you know, if you know what I mean. Okay, um, yeah, eliminate distractions and other things. Okay, the church. Now it's interesting to realize that. Um, God considers the church his glorious inheritance. We, we um, misread, sometimes misread this passage and we think it's talking about our inheritance, that God is somehow our inheritance. And there is a teaching about, yeah, we are, we do inherit God. We're joint heirs with Jesus and so on and so forth. But in this passage in Ephesians 1, 17 to 20, God considers us his glorious inheritance. What does glorious mean again? Say it. What was that? Aesthetic value made visible. <laughs> yeah, beauty appreciated. Okay, yeah, something like that. All right. Um, so um, we, we are God's glorious inheritance. And, you, and, and it's really important, it's very interesting if you think about the Ephesians and their situation. Because Ephesus had the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, if I remember correctly. And so, you know, they have this incredible worship and beautiful temple and beautiful temple prostitutes and... You know, all this kind of thing. They made the little silver icons of the temples and sold them and 
when Paul was when Paul managed to disrupt the uh, 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 Artemis worship. He drove them out of business and they got really mad. And anyway, there's a riot and all that. The point was the Christians in Ephesus were meeting in their, you know, rundown house or wherever they were meeting. And they're probably able to see from where they were meeting the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. Okay. And there was even another temple, which was a temple of Jupiter, which was there somewhere too. And they would, so if you're thinking about in terms of edifice complex type stuff, the Christians were thinking, wow, there are those, the worshipers of Artemis, man, they have that huge building. It's kind of like nowadays, you know, if you if you go to a small church, you might think, wow, you know, Saddleback or, or I don't know, what's a big church these days? I don't, I don't even know anymore. You know, there's these huge churches and we're just a little, you know, struggling little church, you know, that barely... Uh, you know, can, can scrape together however many people. Uh, and you get an inferiority complex. And here's what Paul says, I believe, that was going against this inferiority complex. He said, uh, he's praying that the Father of, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I meant to, I meant to change that. It should be the glorious Father, okay? Um, they, for some reason, they often get that wrong. But anyway, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having your, uh, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Well, I love that line. Uh, it's one of those poetic, uh, what do you call it? And it's just a really funny image, right? You know, like, what is it? The chain of grief galls the leg of my heart. <laughs> they have a word for it when they make a really loud, a really crazy metaphor like that. But anyway, so um, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. Okay, you may know these three things. What is the hope? There's that hope again to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Okay, who are the saints? You know, you and me, right? It's not like the Catholic Church where the saints are those people that the the Pope or whoever has, you know, has, what do they call it? Uh, beautified, yeah. But it is kind of interesting that, you know, they use the word beautified. But anyway, the saints are the ones that are officially beautified. No, that's not what saints means. Saints means everyone who belongs to Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, it meant the people of God in the Old Testament. And so I guess you could say it means the people of God in the New Testament. But when Paul refers to saints, he refers to believers, okay? So, um, but notice, what are the riches of his, that is God's, glorious inheritance in the saints? He's calling you glorious, you know? You gonna let him do that? You gonna let him get away with calling you glorious? You know, right? I mean. You, you know, and you and you kind of look around and you think, glorious? What the heck is he talking about, you know? He, you know, it's kind of like a description of um, the church in Screwtape Letters, you know? It's kind of like, you know, he, what, how does he put it? He says, you know, they, they don't see the church as we see her, you know, uh, spread out through all time and eternity, terrible as an army, 
with banners, you know, which is a line from uh, Song of Solomon. And um, uh, instead, all they see is, you know, this half-finished ha sham Gothic building with a bunch of seedy people that, you know, you, you try to stay away from most of the, you know, when you during the week, right, you know, and, and, uh, and then you also know that, you know, anyway, well, that's the way we look at the church, but God doesn't look at it that way. And if you see things differently from God, who is right? God, I mean, yeah, I'm right. God's wrong, right? I mean, I'm always right. <laughs> right? I mean, if, if God sees us as his glorious inheritance, what does that mean? All right, and then, <clears throat> well, here's the secret of it. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Okay, now the idea there is, so I like to use a sports analogy here. Okay, so um, let's say you are a lottery pick basketball player in college, right? You know that you're going to be one of the top players. Okay, and um, somehow the Warriors have managed to trade up and are uh, picking really high in the draft. And so you're sitting there at your phone, right? The minute the phone rings, what do you know? What do you know? The minute the phone rings, you have not even answered the phone yet. What, when the phone rings, what do you know? Huh? Good news. You, it's good news. Good news. What kind of good news? Well, well, you're going to get a lot of money, okay? You're going to get a whole lot of money. Well, the cool thing is the Warriors have drafted you, you know, and they're the champ, you know, they're the champions. So you get to play for the champions, right? Because you were watching television and you saw that the Warriors had selected you, right? So when the phone rings, you now have this incredible hope. You have a hope of lots of money and to get to play for the best team that ever played. Well, maybe, right? You know, we could talk about it that way. And so now you have this hope. Now, has any of it happened yet? Do you, is your bank account now suddenly a lot bigger? No. Is, are you now part of a championship team? Well, no. But um, <clears throat> somebody's here. Okay, anyway, so, um, but even before any of it has happened, um, because of the call, you have this incredible hope, okay? And that's what it is with us. We have gotten a call from God, and that call gives us a hope, like we said earlier, hope of glory. Okay, it's a hope of glory based on two things. First of all, um, um, the fact that God views us as his glorious inheritance. It's God's picture of us. And one of the things that I keep saying, and I, and I, want, I just want to almost beat it into your heads. Um, uh, most, a lot of times when people are thinking, well, you know, what, what is God's view of me? You know, like, like the book With by Sky Jathani, uh, it... Um, he, he asked that question to his Sunday school class, and they all said, 
they basically all said, God's disappointed with me. Okay? So most of us see, we think, okay, yeah, I'm saved and all that, but, you know, God is disappointed with me. I, he knows I could do better. I could do better. You know, and we're all kind of, do you ever stop to think that God, and, and this, I insist that this is true. Remember, what does it say? There is joy in heaven over a sinner who repents, right? God is totally jazzed over the fact that you have said yes to him. It's like somebody, you know, it's like asking a girl to marry you if you're a guy. And uh, she says, yes. And, and you, are you going to go and say, well, that's kind of disappointing. You know, I mean, no, you're going to feel, I remember when I, you know, asked my wife, uh, well, she was my wife, right? When I asked Lee May to marry me, I was like, I literally, I, was, I walked into my, my, um, my, my mom's house. And my sister was there, and she says, wow, Fred, you're radiant, you know, <laughs> and you didn't even know, right? And I said, oh, yeah, I, I just, Lime said yes to marry me, you know, and, and I'm thinking, you know, so that's how God is. God is totally jazzed, totally, you know, as, as David Ekman put it, God has a delighted passion for you, okay? He is not disappointed with you, all right? I mean, he is, you know, we, all right, he knows who you are. He knows what he's got himself into. Oh, there is a, there's this Reliant K song, right? You guys know that? Do you know what you're, you are getting yourself into? Anybody know that song? How many know that song? Like one or two, yeah. That is such a great song. You know, Chris Tomlin ought to take lessons from those guys. <laughs> anyway, but at the end, it turns it around. At the end, it's, you know, he's asking God, God, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Because, you know, I'm not the kind of person that should be worshiping you. And he says, he says, you know, at the very end, it says, I love you, and that's, let's see, how's that go? I love you, and that's what you're getting yourself into. Something like that. So God is saying that to him. I love you, and that's what you're getting yourself into, you know. So that's what it is, you see. Uh, we are God's glorious inheritance, okay? And the word glorious is in there. It's right there in the Bible, okay? So we are not God's dumpy inheritance. We are not God's, what do they call those houses you need to fixer-upper? We're not God's fixer-upper, you know. We are his glorious inheritance. And how is it going to be? So going back to this whole, you know, uh, uh, warrior's example. How can you possibly play for this, this greatest team ever? You know, you, you have the greatest coach ever, Steve Kerr. And he is going to show you how to play for the greatest team ever. You see, well, that's kind of what, it, I mean, obviously it's a silly example in some ways. But um, he's saying, uh, uh it's the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. God can make, to use a metaphor, you able to play for the greatest team ever. He can make you able to play. And he is going to do it. He's promised to do it. That's the hope to which he has called you. You see, you, you, you are called to greatness and glory and, you know, this incredible 
a wonderful thing. And it's, it's something that right now God is anticipating the consummation of that, okay? The greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's the kind of power which he has, which he exerts on our behalf. Okay, and if that's not enough, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Um, and now here's another thing, the church, okay? And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I know, this is one of these things where if you are, if you are you know, reading Paul, you're, you kind of you zone out when you hear these you know, phrase after phrase, and it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other, or in one eye and out the other, I don't know. But anyway, you don't, you don't get it. And that last line there, or the last, all right, the last three lines. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay? Think about exactly what that means. The church, you and me, all of us, you know, spread out through time and eternity, which is his body, that is, I, I'm not, you know, we, we are the corporate entity that he inhabits, okay? Whatever that means. I mean, it's it's not, it, we are, you know, that's what it says. We're his body. We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ fills all in all. Okay, now, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says God will be all in all. Well, God will be all in all through Christ, who will fill all in all. How will he fill? What's the implementation for all of you software people? What's the implementation of filling all in all? How's he going to do it? Us. We will be his body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. We will be his fullness. We will fill all in all kind of on his behalf or as his body, to put it more, more carefully. You see, now this is kind of, you know, it's, there, there's a lot going on here. I will be honest. I say, I don't get it. I don't know what it all means. Okay, and I'll say something about that a little later. But, um, the words are there. There is something incredibly amazing in store for us, you see. And not only, and notice that it is as part of the body, you see. So our destiny lies in being in the body. Because in the body, we will be the fullness of him who fills all in all, you see. Okay? All right. The bride. What I want to just do is read this. Uh, I think we can get through most of it. Um, so I want you. Guys, I want to have volunteers to read um, this and the following ones. So can someone read this one for me? Revelation nineteen seventy nine. <clears throat> Tammy, go ahead. Herself 
Okay, so, um, I, you know, Peter Fong used to say this all the time, God's a party animal. So this is where, you know, this is where we're going to wind up. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And the bride has made herself ready. That's us. We are, the corporate entity is the bride of Christ. And look at, the, look at this, it's very interesting here. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. She's beautiful, right? She has, she's just lovely. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In other words, what's he talking about here? He's talking about all the stuff that we did in this life, all the stuff that you know we kind of had to maybe bear up under stuff or put up with stuff or or do you know just do the thing we do, right? And we think, oh, well, you know, I did it, but, you know, nobody noticed, nobody remembers. In fact, you know, there's that old saying, have, how many of you ever had the experience, no good deed goes unpunished? Have you had that one? Yeah. I remember recently I, I had a neighbor that I was helping out, basically an older lady who was, I told her that one. Okay, never mind. Anyway, the garbage, in, anyway, so it was, I had to pick up the garbage. That's a line from uh, Alice's Restaurant. By Arlo Guthrie. I had to pick up the garbage. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I know nobody gets that. But anyway. Okay. So. But the point is. You know. It's not lost. It's there. It's part of the beauty of the bride. This. You know. This is stuff that. It's just like. Mind boggling to me. But it's there. And it's something that. Is part. You know. If we dwell on these kind of things. Then we have hope. We start thinking this, you know, a lot of people have this, this view of, you know, heaven or whatever as this boring place where nobody does anything or everybody stands around singing worship songs forever. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, there's this one song that says, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your... And I start thinking to myself... I sure hope he doesn't, you know. I mean, right, you know, that kind of idea that you, you know, just go on and on singing the, you know, whatever it is over and over again, right? And, and, but that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be at the very, at the very least, it's going to be a banquet, a party, you know. And those are fun. You have to admit, those are fun, right? I mean, singing is fun too, but, you know, to sing this, anyway. But, uh, <laughs> The, so it's going to be a banquet, which is a celebration, a joyful thing. It's going to have beauty. All right. Um, I'm going to skip this one because it doesn't have any of the pretty stuff. Uh, it kind of does have. But anyway, what I want to point out here, Revelation 21, 9 to 27. In those days, they hadn't invented photography yet, you know. So um, they didn't have any way to make, you know, how, how for weddings you hire this photographer and he takes, gets in the way and makes everybody annoyed, but he takes a, a lot of pictures. I, I remember, anyway, but then um, he puts them in an album and, and you get to see them if you're lucky. I mean, I've been to weddings where I never saw the wedding pictures because for some reason they never 
got put in a place where I could see him. But Daniel, my son, gave me this bound book with their wedding pictures in it. I thought, well, at least I got those. But anyway, um, so they don't have that in those in the in those days. So what they don't they have to use words, you know? I mean, they have to use poetry. They have to use imagery, you know. Revela and Revelation is the perfect book for that, because you know John the uh, writer had the craziest mind you can imagine. I don't know what was what was going on with him. I mean, the book of John is pretty straightforward, very well written, but it's straightforward. But the book of Revelation, my gosh! Uh, but it's incredible. I will tell you, even though you, I shouldn't do this. I I don't like to tell people that something's beautiful. The book of Revelation is one of the most beautiful books I've ever read, okay, from a literary perspective. It is incredibly fun to read. If you don't get too bogged down in all the crazy symbolism and stuff, it eventually makes sense if you read it for 10 or 15 years, you know. Um, give me your un undivided attention for the next 15 years and you'll understand Revelation, right? You know, but anyway, um, um, so it's a picture that describes the bride. It's a picture with words, word picture that describes the bride. Uh, let's read the, let's read um, this part here. So this is, this is like the, the, the son of God sort of geeking out about his bride, you know, looking at his bride. And, all right, someone want to read this one for me? Go ahead. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold. Like Pause. Sorry. Jasper, they don't really know what stone it was. It's possible that it's, that it's diamond. Some have suggested it's diamond. It was at least translucent. It might have been transparent. And um, in those days, they couldn't, they, they didn't cut stones. They just polished them. Okay, because they didn't know about cutting them. So you would get their gems were, were kind of round polished instead of faceted like ours are. Thank you. Go ahead. Like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, agate yeah. the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chiro chrysoprase, yeah. the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Thanks. That was a little bit more challenging than I bet you expected. But anyway, yeah, they don't know what all these stones were. Okay. Um, I want to point out that when it talks about the street being pure gold, like transparent glass, it's basically polished, okay? So you could see yourself in it, like this gold is so polished and, and you know, I, right? That you, it's kind of like walking down a street or a floor in a house or something that's polished so you can look down, there you are, you know? It's, and, um, and so that's kind of how it is. Um, and it's so you what's the point of all this well first of all um, we skipped over the part where it talks about the foundations being 
uh, having the names of the apostles written on them. The gates have the names of the 12 tribes written on them, you know. So this is all, this is symbolic of the, uh, the way that the church came into being, okay, through the tribes and through the apostles and so on, right? Um, the 12s are very important in that regard. Uh, and it's just talking about it in, as, as something incredibly, all right, so I wanted to show you guys this. Um, this actually, be, believe it or not, um, I did this. Uh, this, what happened was the ring itself um, was rattling around in, well, after my mom died, I might have even got it before she died. But anyway, I had this ring and it didn't have a gem set in it, okay? And um, so I was just sitting around in my various, in my desk or in my drawer or different, you know, just kind of rattling around. And it, and it got all, it was all dirty and it looked all grungy and I couldn't I thought what is this thing you know and so then what I did was I, I I cleaned it before and there was no gem in it I cleaned it and I said I bet those things are diamonds I, I don't know if you can see there's there's uh, six on top there's six on the bottom and three on either side they're very small there but I cleaned it off and they and I held it in the light and they sparkled and I looked at the ring uh, on the inside of the ring and it's sterling silver. It's a sterling silver ring with little tiny diamonds. And then I thought, wow, I think I'm gonna get a gem for it. So I went and got a, a lab grown sapphire. Cost me 30 bucks. I love sapphires, you know, it's a beautiful blue sapphire. And I mounted it and um, gave it to my granddaughter. Whereupon I think she put it in some box somewhere where it will rattle around and maybe you know anyway but the point is i just thought i thought it was really cool and i love the sapphire but you see it's it's really beautiful you know you look at it and if you shine light on it every kind of sparkly thing happens all right so anyway um maybe somebody can read this part here this one doesn't have any funky words in it so you don't have much to sweat okay thanks and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need for sun or of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring <laughs> into it the glory and the honor of the nation, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what it, what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Great, thanks. You notice it says, okay, it says that the light of the city will be God, the glory of God, right? Remember the beauty of the, the visible beauty, visible aesthetic value of God. So obviously we're talking symbolically. Its lamp is the, the lamb. So similarly, the lamp is giving this light. And then by the light of the city, the nations will walk, okay? And which is interesting, okay, that means there will be the city and then there will be nations, okay? Uh, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. To me, when I read this, um, 
and then the last line there, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. What I think here is that everything, kind of like the good deeds of the saints are beautify the bride, here the glory and honor of the nations um, is brought into the city. It's not lost, okay? It's not lost. Nothing of value is lost. But then, like he says, nothing unclean will ever enter into it, or nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So basically, this is judgment. Judgment is what I call sorting things out, right? You know, there's that rather uh, um, what's the I'm looking for a word. Anyway, there's that rather black humor type line. Uh, kill them all and let God sort them out. You guys might have heard that before. But um, this is the sorting out part. You know, God is judging. And we want him to judge. Because he will take the things that are beautiful and allow them to shine in unsullied splendor. And the only way you can do that is by getting those the unclean and detestable stuff out, right? You see, so eventually we are hoping for, um, for the for beauty. Uh, this is a lot. I want us to think about this a bit. Um, someone read this for us. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Okay, so. It's better than anything we better than anything we can think of that we have thought of. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's easy. You know, that's one of the problems with um, you know when you talk about stuff that's you know extremely on the extreme end of things. You end up saying stuff like it was indescribable, which is basically not very helpful, right? You know, I couldn't I couldn't describe it. You know. The food, the food was beyond description, or, or you know, things like that. And you know, you know it was good, but it doesn't really help you really know what was going on. Well, it's, but, but this is what it's saying: it's beyond sight, hearing, or imagination. You know, this is what God has got ready, is getting ready for us, has gotten ready for us, prepared for us who love Him. You know, so this is what we have to look forward to. This is why we want to have our hope placed in um, this in heaven. You say our hope in heaven, okay? <clears throat> and you know, one of the accusations against Christianity is always that it's pie in the sky when you die. You know, um, but if you think about it, <clears throat> you know, um, we. When we look at the world, okay, I was thinking about it as I was driving here. Um, I had a I, I had a really nice drive here today, and you know I'm driving in the middle of rush hour and all that, and I just was thinking everybody's doing really well today, you know, and then of course surprisingly most of the lights were green and I didn't get stuck at these long lights, you know, where, and I'm thinking wow, you know, really nice. Everybody's very calm, very you know, and I thought wow, this is about the best it can get, you know. And then I thought, yeah, but, you know, there's something much better to look forward to, you know. I mean, 
you know, you think about this world and there's even even if you're rich, you live in an incredible house, you, you know, have servants and food, you still got your body, which is gradually, you know, deteriorating over time. And, you know, and, and you know, you have all these stories about these celebrities who end up dead because of ODs or, you know, things like that. So all I'm trying to say is the things of this world aren't even worthy to be compared to the things that God has prepared for us. So if we put our hope in the things that God has prepared for us, God says he'll get us through the world, he'll get us what we need in this life, and then we'll have the, you know, the the reward in heaven that God has, you know, has prepared for us. Okay, um, I want to do, um, I want to do, okay. Can I, can I have a suggestion? So, sure. Um, for the practicality part, uh, if you were to like go off your slides and say over the course of the seven weeks, yeah, six, um, yeah, what are what are the main takeaways? Well, I want to do also like I want to do one part okay. here, okay? Yeah, sure. Um, prayer, okay. Uh, I don't like I said here. I don't know anything you can do that better reflects a spiritual relationship with God. I mean, you know, well, in terms of, well, sure, sure. But, but <clears throat> remember that we love because he first loved us. And how do we, how do we enter into God's love? You know, we enter into God's love through prayer, through an interactive relationship with God. Okay. And um, prayer is presence. So one of the things about prayer is it's it's hard. Well, I'm, I'll say this in a later a later slide. Um, I'm, I'll just there's like two slides or three slides on prayer, but I'm almost yeah, sure. you know there are other things, but I'll. Um, so there is a story about a guy named Wallace Stegner. Have you guys heard, anybody heard of Wallace Stegner? All the little live things. He's a novelist he actually lived in the bay area and um anyway he he was giving a talk at stanford on writing so he comes into the room and he's got his notes and things and it's full of you know students and he says uh how many of you want to be writers and they all raise their hand and so he says then i suggest that you all go home and write nothing i have to say to you will be of any more value than that closes his notes and marches out of the room you know and that's the way i feel like pr about prayer you know go home and pray nothing i have to say to you you know will be of any more value than that right huh yeah exactly it's, you know but i would i do want to say a few things i'm almost you know i'm not i, I can't resist the temptation he was a better man than i am so First, and I also want to say, we have to understand, because a lot of people, whenever you say, well, here's something to do, then everybody starts thinking a lot things like, okay, um, what if I don't do it? Um, how well am I doing it? Am I doing it enough? You know, and, and you know, oh, and, you know, what's my, my, I have a terrible prayer life right now. You know, we start talking like that, you know, and, and I just really want to tell people, you know, um, 
I don't know. I don't really don't know how to ex express it. But think of it as opportunity, not obligation. That's my that's my watchword. In other words, God says, if you want to, you can pray to me. You can talk to me anytime you want. I'm ready. I'm listening. You know, and and then if you don't, well, I'm not forcing you, right? I mean, is what will happen if you don't pray to God? Bolts of lightning will come down from heaven and incinerate the person standing next to you, right? No, just <laughs> that's part of a joke. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, it's like you think you think God is going to say, well, you know, it's just you're missing out. You're missing out, right? Um, you are, God is not going to punish you for not praying. You're punishing yourself, though, right? It's kind of like you have this, I don't know, I could use analogy after analogy, but but it's an, it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity and um, it's an opportunity that people in history have sought after. It's the Holy of Holies. It's entering into the Holy of Holies, the place where nobody could go except the high priest once a year. And all he could do was go in there and pour blood on the on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he had to get out of there. And they put a rope around his leg so in case there was something wrong with it. This is what I heard. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it's really true. They put a rope around his leg so in case he had, was unclean for some reason and, and died, they could haul him out without having to go in there themselves. You know, So that was how, how special God's presence is. Okay, so what we're talking about here is being present before God. And and there there obviously there are modes of doing it. There there is like okay, I'm walking down the street, and I'm talking to God, kind of casually. I'm kind of just talking to God, right? Or I'm you know I, I woke up in the middle of the night. Something's bothering me. Nobody's around. I'm praying to God because I really want to talk to Him. You know. I really want to be present before him. I want him to be present with me, you know. And and so, the, but the point is, okay, let me just um, make a point here. Okay, we have these verses. Uh, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What do these verses have in common? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribula tribulation, be constant in prayer. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray without ceasing. What do all these things have in common? All these verses. Huh? Praying a lot. Praying a lot. All the time. Praying all the time. Or being constant in prayer. Now, it doesn't mean, it. see, the way to understand this is it doesn't mean you're praying every second of every day. It means that prayer is, is a fundamental part of your life. It's something that you just do, okay? Um, and, and so prayer is hard. It's hard because it's hard to know what to pray. It's hard to stay focused. And we have an enemy that wants to distract us, okay? And so it takes effort to pray. At least, especially in the beginning when you're kind of developing the habit, if you want to call it that. When you're trying to do it, you know, like I used to remember riding on the train when I used to go on the train. I thought it was a great time to pray. And I would pray. 
and then then I'd be thinking about something else, and then I'd say ah ah, then I'd pray, and then I'd be thinking about something else. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, it just took time to develop the ability to focus on talking. Even now, though, I, I say it, I I I still find myself. I try to talk to God, and I find myself somewhere else. So you just have to keep at it. Okay, you can't you can't give up. Okay. Because it is something that, as I said earlier, it's really the most fundamental spiritual practice. It's, I even hate to call it that. It's, I don't know, it's kind of like calling breathing a fundamental exercise for health, right? You can't live if you don't breathe. I mean, so, so the idea is prayer is just what you do, you know? And you're not, you're not being kept, God, is not do, it does, God doesn't have a scorecard. And saying, well, let's see, this prayer, well, let's see, it was missing the element of confession, so, yeah, not very good, you know, B minus, you know, or, God, man, so distracted, C plus, or, you know, 30 seconds of prayer, F, you know, right? Nothing like that, right? God, God, the way I say it, God is always glad when we turn to him in any way, okay? So, the point is, though, you want to build it up. You want to build it into your life. We have to be determined and consistent. We have to say this is a connection with God that I want to cultivate. This is our intentionality. See, this is our side of things. God comes at us and offers a relationship and loves us and dies for us and all that. This is our side of us. And then what do we do? Well, we just seek him. We seek him through prayer. Okay? And, and you know, you can't fail except if you give up. Tomorrow, you start over again. You pray. Everything and every prayer you've prayed up till now, every time you've talked to God up till now, he's heard it, right? You know, he's there. He, he knows, you're, he knows what, you're, what you're trying to say. So... And, you know, stay with it. Stay with it. And, of course, you know, as needy people, we bring our needs and our cares and so on before him. Um, and that's good. That's what we're told to do. Pray for your needs. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you, right? And then over time, what you would find is that you can sort of, you can sort of talk to him in more of a, you know, like... God, I really want to talk this over with you, you know? And somehow you really get a sense that he's there and that he's hearing and that he's responding in some way. I don't know what, I don't know how to explain it or tell you, like, this is what it looks like or this is what it sounds like or what, this is how you get it. All I can say is just stick with it. It's worth it. It's worthwhile. Stick with it, okay? That's my talk on prayer. We have Bible reading too, but and community. Uh, I'll post these slides somewhere, I guess. But uh, I'm sure everybody will go and immediately look at them. And no. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, any questions or anything before we... Yeah, we have about, what, like, say, 10 minutes or so? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we have time for questions, and we're going to eat cake so people can continue to ask questions yeah. during that time. <laughs> In like in like a minute, could you say like 
Is there anything you want us to go do? And like, what's one important takeaway from the talk? Sure, sure. I <clears throat> like how can we how can yeah. we put into practice what we've been learning? Well, a lot of it you're a lot of it you're you're doing something like this, right? But see it as important. Prayer, for example, and prayer. What I would call prayer partners. I mean, don't don't be by yourself in prayer. Find somebody or a, a small group, small, because big it becomes. It doesn't. It's not really. I mean, it's hard to pray in a in a group of like say ten people. You end up. It just gets really dissipated. Find two or three people that you can pray with. You know, and then pray. Make sure if you you're with these two or three people, because the tendency will be to talk, 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 talk. Oh, we got to go pray for, you know, two minutes, if that much. But you know, D minus. <laughs> well, I mean, it's better than nothing. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna get together to pray, pray. You know, and uh, it's that's hard. But what you do is you build a relationship with these people. You you know you you try to make it that you're gonna maybe even like somebody said, well, this is what's what's bothering me, or this is what I I need prayer for. Once that's shared, pray about it together, and then go on to the next thing. You know, don't 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 put it all. Don't say twenty or thirty things, and then at the very end, everybody's trying to remember. Oh, what the heck was? <laughs> what were they wanting me to pray for? You know, and, and all that. You know, pray together though. Because that, you know, I think that that is that the Bible even suggests that we do that, where uh, wherever two or three of you, uh, whatever two or three of you agree on, in prayer, asking in prayer, something like that, I will do it, you know. So and you know, it encourages us to pray together. And I again, it's hard because you know you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell anybody really what you don't really want to share what's you really want to pray for because it's too revealing. So you say something trite and surfacey, and then nothing really happens because you didn't really mean it, or you did mean it but not very. You know, you ever you ever go to a prayer meeting or you go to a group and people say, "Well, all right, let's pray." Anybody have any prayer requests? Let's go around. Um, Daniel, do you have anything to, you need prayer for? No. Tammy, do you have anything you need prayer for? No, I'm okay. You know, I mean, what the heck, right? You have nothing you need to, you need prayer for? I, 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 I Fred Gillum, am going to come before God on your behalf. You won't, you don't have anything? You see, so that would be one thing I'd really, I'd suggest. Um... If we are, so the, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit. When you're talking about the Fred Mock phenomenon of like, I don't look forward to Jesus coming because I have so much to look forward to in this life. Um, if, if we are in that position, which I think probably many of us are, like, would you have any advice or thoughts? Right. I think I, I I said something about in here something about med meditating on uh, where was it? I said something about meditating on this stuff. In other words, in other words, you you. Maybe better question is like, at what point did that change for you? 
Well, well, it it changed because I started um, like reading Revelation really helps. Um, starting to to look at the Bible and think about. I mean, I'm I'm not saying even now. I'm not saying I that Revelation is an open book to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand some things in Revelation, but. Um, as I began to read it, I started to feel like, you know, this is, this is really great. You know, this is really, and it, it also gives you a kind of a contrasting uh, view of the world, right? The world is, you know, in many ways, I mean, we're so fortunate in our, in, in how we were able to live, but in many ways, you know, there's a lot of misery in the world. And even in, you know, our lives, we do experience misery, right? And so if God is, you know, like read the, read the last three chapters of Revelation, you know, um, you should find so much encouragement there. Start to, so, so again, resist the temptation to say, you know, well, this is pie, like I said, pie in the sky when you die. Um, and, and so I should be more concerned about this life. Resist that temptation. The, the idea is the more you have a longing for heaven, um, the more you um, will avoid the traps in this life you can fall into. And the, you know, the more you really be able to live out a Christian life. So, so one, of the, one of the, for example, one of the things is when it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Well, one thing about a peacemaker is a peacemaker can't be on anybody's side. Otherwise, the other side won't trust them, right? So if your hope is in heaven, then you, don't, you aren't really looking at anything in the world for your satisfaction. Then you could be a peacemaker because, you know, you kind of don't, I won't say you don't care. You do care, but you don't, you aren't grabbing for anything. You're neutral. You're a neutral party. You are, you're on both sides. Remember Stargirl when the, Stargirl was a cheerleader. She'd cheer for both sides. Freaked everybody out. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, you're on both sides, you know? Well, you can't be on both sides if you're looking for something in this world because, I mean, you'll be, you'll be worried about it. You'll be seeking it. You'll be wanting to protect it from other people, et cetera, et cetera. Your hope is in heaven. You're on, you're on everybody's side. You don't care. You know, if, if some political situation happens, um, I, I could just go, I could tell you about this, but I mean, and you may not agree with me, but I still think the way to do it is to meditate on the things in the Bible that talk about, you know, like treasures in heaven and stuff like that, you know, and think, what does that mean? And how do I get there? And yeah, so... Other questions? All right. Uh, I think we'll finish there and okay. ask well, what is happening. Uh, thank you so much for all the hard work you put into giving these talks. It's been this the seventh week, so we really appreciate it. If you guys want to catch up, you can uh, go to our podcast page or whatever uh -huh. look up Chinese Church in Christ South Valley on your local podcast provider and you should be able to find you should be able to find my dad's talks um, him and Ed did 
to actual like discussions on the second one and the sixth one. Uh, so those are particularly cool about individual Christian spirituality and then collective Christian spirituality. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> that's good. And then thank you, Jeremiah, for all the tech support yeah, and yeah. editing of the podcast stuff and uploading it. <laughs> all right, let me pray real quick. Um, yeah, dear Lord, um, I thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. Uh, how we can look forward to when you come back and set things right. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, um, yeah, just keep that hope uh, at the forefront of our minds as we live our lives, uh, that we might be uh, purified and be encouraged uh, to endure and to um, live out our relationship with you and love other people uh, in our weeks. Um, so I pray for each person here, Lord. I pray you would use these talks um, to... Uh, really uh, speak truth to us and draw us into uh, a deeper, truer relationship with you, Lord. Um, so we thank you so much. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.